We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Um, we just needed to play with some energy. Last night we had dips in our energy and it cost us the game. Um, we, ca- we talked about coming out and just playing our style of basketball. Uh, we've been kind of lacking a little bit of playmaking with the second unit, so that was something I really tried to focus on tonight. I was just telling people out of the corners to come up, cut to the rim. When I catch the ball off the roll, somebody be cutting. And I'm glad they took my advice. I'll tell you what, I'm glad they took your advice too, but they didn't take your advice at the end there when you were on you know, triple double. <laughs> Mikhail owes me two and Julie owes me one. That was what I was telling them. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. My name is Mike. I'm here, as always, with Sam. We're going to get right into it today. We're really excited. We have a very special guest with us on the podcast, a writer at TheRinger.com, host of the Mismatch podcast, and host of The Void, an excellent show on The Ringer's YouTube channel, and the creator of the Bright Future Suns moniker, Kevin (laughs) O'Connor. Kevin, how are you doing? I'm doing great today, guys. How about y'all? Pretty great. We're doing great. Uh, really appreciate you coming on. I think that you have a very special place in a lot of Suns fans' hearts <laughs> for, for the, sometimes the simple reason of uh, you watched the Suns when they were bad, <laughs> which, which I think is more than a lot of people did. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of people in the general public didn't, but I think to to an extent, people who cover the entire NBA, uh, they have to balance their time really carefully between the really good teams and the teams that are uh, rebuilding or struggling or uh, whatever the Suns were doing for a long period of time. And I think for us, for Suns fans, it was very clear that you were always paying attention and watching. As we've noticed, you 
recently released an excellent video on the Ringer's YouTube channel for your show, The Void, on Mikkel Bridges. Everyone go out and watch that right away. It's fantastic. Kevin, why did you pick Mikkel as the subject of that video? What, what about him made you want to talk about him? I feel like every good team, every team, all 30 teams could use a Mikkel Bridges. And for Phoenix, he's just a absolute dynamite fit next to guys who are going to handle the ball a lot, like Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And ultimately, with him, I feel like his ability to defend equally well. People talk about defensive versatility. I feel like he is so good both against some of those speedy guards or some stronger guards or or even some bigger wings and forward types. I mean, we've seen him defend Kawhi Leonard. We've seen him defend Donovan Mitchell. We've seen him defend Steph Curry like in Thursday night's game. He is a dynamic defender who can do it against anybody. Then offensively, he's someone who kind of lost a shot after his time at Villanova. He yeah. had the hitch, as Suns fans know. And he's gotten through that and has become really one of the league's knockdown guys who does more than that uh, with his ability to cut, with his ability to attack closeouts and make nice little accurate passes to Aiton in the dunker spot or kickouts to Cam Johnson or whoever it might be for three. I just feel like he is a good all-around player. And he feels like somebody who can only get better, and he's somebody that could fit anywhere. Every team could use a Mikel Bridges, and that's why we wanted to do the video about him. I love it. At KOC, I mean... Mikhail Bridges has been a pretty good defensive player since he came into the league, and so it's nice now that the Suns are good that he's getting credit for it, but particularly with some of the stuff you brought up on offense is stuff that not a lot of people on the national level are talking about. I really liked the uh, the minute or two that you spent talking about his cutting, because that's something we've talked about here on his podcast of Mikhail Bridges hasn't necessarily been cutting as much this season, but when he does do it, he's very good at it. In fact, I, I don't know if you watched the game last night, but just last night, it was kind of a vintage Mikhail Bridges-esque performance where he snuck his way to 20 points by using a lot of cutting. My question for you, a, a guy like that, to me, one of the things that makes Mikhail Bridges most interesting is that I look around the league, I don't see many guys who are good at both cutting, putting pressure on the rim, also being these good uh, three-point shooters now that he's gotten his shot back and, and has a little bit of shooting gravity. How do you feel about that aspect of his game? Kind of like the idea of being a superstar role player, if that makes sense. And and if you are one of those players like Mikhail Bridges, where do you find the balance between doing those two things and, and kind of finding your spots within the flow of the offense? That, that's a really good question. And, you know, just you mentioning him being a star in his role kind of makes me think of like how we we kind of determined to present the video like the the headline was like emerging star and mm. <laughs> i mean like star can be looked at as so many different ways mm -hmm. like top 10 player top 20 player mvp candidate or it can be star in their role and ultimately i feel like he's exactly that as you said he's a star in his role and part of the reason why is because he does such a and that's one of the things him and i talked about is his ability to balance and read the floor and read what his defender is doing. I thought his quote inside the video about, you know, oftentimes he's defending the best player on the other team. And oftentimes that best player is defending him because the opponent may want their defender to get a little bit of rest, <laughs> you know, chill out thinking, you know, spot up shooter, just relax. He's standing here in the corner. And Mikel was like, you know, there are times I'm standing there spotting up in the corner and I see them relaxing. I recognize that he's relaxing. You know, he's not in a defensive stance, so he's just kind of dazing out, whatever it might be. And he knows that's a moment for him to cut to the rim or do something off ball, set a screen, whatever it might be to make the defender work. And I feel like with him, 
you know, you said how he, the word you used was snuck his way to 20 points. That's what happens a, a lot with him. Like mm-hmm. even his 34 point game, <laughs> like yeah. it, a lot of it's just within the flow of the offense. And with him, I feel like he just, he's just a smart high IQ player. And so much of that comes from his time. He said, you know, playing in a high school system that emphasized cutting and passing and then playing in college at Villanova motion offense. One of the most really pro, you know, offenses that we have in college basketball with Jay Wright there. And then now in the NBA with Monty Williams uh, doing what they're doing, I feel like it's every step of the way has been perfect for his mindset and approach to the game and the way he looks at it and making winning plays and he's just been in good developmental situations that have only further enhanced that ability. So he has that balance. Yeah, I thought one of the more insightful things in your video was when you noted that he doesn't like the 3 and D title for him specifically. And I don't I don't know that it was necessarily players like him, but specifically him. Uh, that he feels almost like it's sort of boxing him into a guy that just shoots and plays defense. And I I thought that was especially interesting that, you know, I watched that video yesterday and then to watch the game against the Warriors, something he noted after the game was that he hasn't been run off of his three-point shot in the NBA until recently. It's just now that people are covering him like he can make it at a 45% rate because he struggled in in his first two seasons. You, You noted the hitch in the video as well. And Monty told him to look for ways to cut. And it was interesting to hear him, you know, to hear you note that in your video, he doesn't like that moniker. And then to see him take advantage of people running out to the three-point line at him and finding ways to cut. And somehow, uh, Frank Kaminsky, of all players, finding him on those cuts over and over and over again against the Warriors. <laughs> I, I do want to ask you, what do you think... His, his, he's going to be eligible for a contract extension and it's going to be a fascinating thing to see what he gets in that contract extension. I've noted it before. If for some reason they don't give him an extension after this season, uh, Suns fans can feel free to protest that as much as they want. I'll join them. Uh, But what do you think his ceiling is, is as a player He's older. You know, he was drafted as a guy who went all four years in college. This next contract is going to be important for him. How good do you think he can be in this next contract? You know, I think so much of that is partially due to opportunity and situation with Devin Booker there. And, you know, we'll see how Chris Paul ages and if he, you know, stays around for X amount of years, like into deep into Mikel Bridges' next contract. But ultimately with him, I think in all likelihood, he'll, he'll become like a better version of what he is today. You know, you mentioned attacking closeouts. That's one thing we didn't really hit as much in the video. I think he's quite good at it, considering the fact he hasn't been run off the line a heck of a lot until this season. Um, but it's still an area of improvement. And ultimately for him, I'm not sure I see the the on-ball shot creation role for him in Phoenix. But if you're able to get that out of him in moments – that is what can really raise his ceiling. If that can happen before contract extension time or during that next contract, ultimately that's really the the only significant missing piece in his game 
is off the dribble. This season he's only 7 of 24 on dribble jumpers in the half court according to Synergy. So below 30% shooting. He's better than that number. He was better last season but continuing to improve his ball handling, continuing to get better uh, scoring against a defender being in his face. That's what can raise his value. But I, I don't know if that opportunity will be there in Phoenix. I mean, like, do you guys see that path towards more like pick and roll opportunities for him in the near future with Booker and and Chris Paul and even a like, campaign coming off the bench helping run the <laughs> offense? I, I personally do. The reason being, we'll get more into the overall team and maybe some of the weaknesses in a little bit in the conversation. But the Suns right now are a very contact averse team. That's just how it is when, when you have a Chris Paul run team. And so any guy who's willing to put a little bit of pressure on the rim and try to get to the free throw line, I don't necessarily know if uh, Mikhail has it in him to be good at it this year, but I do think the opportunity is there for anyone who wants to try. Um, like even just in the past few games, they've been encouraging without Booker in the lineup, uh, Jay Crowder, you know, to attack a little bit, uh, to attack closeouts when he can and, and run a couple pick and rolls here and there. So I, I do think the opportunity is there. I don't know if he's, as you said, I don't know if he's going to be super great at it. I do want to ask you, though, kind of moving on to some of the, the team defensive schemes, uh, something tangentially related to the video. The most animated I saw you get, KOC, in the video was not actually about Mikhail Bridges, but it was on, <laughs> it was on a clip where Mikhail Bridges gets beat, and it's DeAndre Ayton who rises up for a flashy vertical contest, and you were ecstatic you looked like someone who was about to be edited into a meme with the shooting stars song uh maybe one of our space. listeners i went into yeah, space you went into space maybe one of our listeners can help us with the assist on that after we release this but talking about deandre ayton the the pick and roll defense that the suns play doesn't help without um it doesn't work without a lot of moving parts but obviously it all starts with deandre ayton aiding mikhail bridges uh how have how impressed have you been with the strides Aiden has made in his defense since year one. It's incredible. I mean, it truly is incredible. And I like I know, like he could be nitpicked, you know, sometimes off ball, miss rotations a little late. Like it happens. It happens. And like that's frustrating at times and you wish sometimes that would go away. But ultimately what he was as not just a rookie in the NBA, but what he was as a freshman at Arizona. The difference is so dramatic that this isn't something that I could have seen coming from him because I liked Aiton as a prospect. I did a lot. I believe I had him ranked second behind Luka that year, and mm -hmm. ultimately I viewed him as a good fit in the NBA, a good long-term guy. But to, for him to be doing it already in year three, considering where he started, that's abnormal to me. And I think that's a testament to the work he's put in individually. It's a testament to the player developmental program there, the coaching around him, trainers around him, but also just specifically to his mindset. You know, as a guy who's drafted number one in the draft, so many of those players, you know, they might rather be scoring 24, 25 points per game, getting 16, 17 shots per game up from last season. He had 15 shots per game last year. He's down to 10 right now i don't think yeah. there are a lot of number one picks that would buy into that situation to buy into this role in the way that he is and i i respect that you know you know as a player for him to do that that to sacrifice those shots because ultimately it's playing into the winning and even if sometimes there's some mistakes on the defensive end or sometimes like his turnaround jumpers on the post can be frustrating and you know he still has little quirks in his game that you wish could be, you know, ironed out. But overall, 
I'm blown away by where he is in year three from where he was as a prospect at Arizona and where he entered the league uh, as a rookie. Yeah, just even the jump from where he was in college to the end of his first year, followed by another jump in his second year, uh, the strides that he's made on defense has been fascinating. And I do think the nitpicking that you're talking about, I think, is is especially interesting because as soon as the Suns traded for Chris Paul, uh, so much of how good they can be falls on how good DeAndre Ayton can be, which is you know fair and unfair to him. He is good and he carries a lot on his back but like you think about Devin Booker's third year in the league there was there wasn't a lot of pressure for him to win at that point it was mostly just development over time and the losses came now there's just a spotlight on him and and from that perspective the Suns lost three in a row they they won against the Warriors uh to stop a four-game losing streak which would have been uh well disastrous for Suns fans and interesting for the team as a whole when you look at where they are now after the Chris Paul trade and how they're performing, is it something where you think that they're underperforming at this point? Should they be better? Did you expect it to take this long for Chris Paul and Devin Booker to mesh? Obviously not a lot of time now with Devin Booker out. Or do you think it's something as wonky as just this COVID season and people being out makes it hard for things to work right away? Like, How do you perceive how they've performed so far? Um, you know, I'm not reading into it uh, too much in terms of record of what the where the team is right now, considering guys have come in and out. You know, Booker's out right now, so nine nine and eight. You know, obviously you'd rather be you know ten and seven or eleven and six <laughs> or, or undefeated, <laughs> seventeen and zero. But ultimately, I look at more the the process of how some of these games are going. It's like the the two overtime losses in a row to Denver this past week. It's like Aiton did a pretty good job against Jokic comparatively to how he did as a rookie. Yeah. You know, you did that without Devin Booker. And the, the Suns are in those games and shows that this is a new team with a new mix, bringing in a guy like Chris Paul who really does change the way your team is in terms of leadership in the locker room, in terms of chemistry, the way it is, the, the, the mood of the team is different with a Chris Paul in there than with a Ricky Rubio. And the team already is meshing in a lot of ways. And I think I look at that more than the record right now. Uh, that I feel like, and this, this is true for every team in the league. I said this opening night that I look at the first month as like an extended preseason because teams are figuring out the COVID stuff. They're figuring out everything after a shortened off season and a shortened training camp and a very short preseason that Right now, the records across the league, there's a lot of wonky records right now. So with Phoenix being 9-8 and eight overall, I, I'm encouraged, even though the record might be a little bit underwhelming compared to expectations. Speaking of wonky records, they're about to play a really fascinating back-to-back with Dallas, who are 8-10. and 10. Oh, yeah. Uh, that could go. That, that could be fun. I want to ask you about perception. Because, again, Mike alluded to this at the beginning, but I don't think it can be overstated, KOC, just how... <laughs> How much Suns fans love you for the Bright Future Suns uh, movement? <laughs> that being said, you interact with a lot more national voices than we do, obviously. I think we know how some other national voices feel uh, about the Suns. Um, Chris Vernon, obviously. Um, Kyle Mann. <laughs> uh, no, not, not even saying anything yeah. about it. You, you know, your, your other colleague, Kyle Mann, is a friend of our pod. He's been on our pod before, and I think Kyle's he has great. believed. What a voice he's great. Kyle has. Huh? He's amazing. Great. Oh, he's amazing. But 
you know, not just them, but generally with all of the national analysts and pundits, the approach that I've taken this entire season, I'll tell you, is I don't blame anyone at the national level who has to see it to believe it with Phoenix, because this is a franchise that's been plagued with a lot of issues for a long time. Now they're nine and eight to begin the season. It's a bit of a weird season, but you talk to other people. Do they see it? Are are people at the national level starting to believe in the Phoenix Suns? And if not, uh, what do you think it would take to, to get there? Yeah, I think so. I mean, people think it's a nice team. And I, I think in terms of like playoff expectations, there will be a large element of people who do want to see it to believe it because there are also people who look at Chris Paul as somebody who flames out or gets hurt inevitably in the postseason. So you do have some, some people who look at the team as like a Chris Paul team, not a Chris Paul and Devin Booker and Mikel Bridges and DeAndre Ayton team. And I feel like there are certain players on this roster specifically, like even a Cameron Payne. Cameron Payne is not the bust that we saw a couple of years <laughs> yeah. back. You know, I mean, this this team, I look at the roster, and this is a deep, strong team. It might not be a championship team. It's not a championship team right now <laughs> compared to the Lakers or the Clippers yeah. or some of the, you know, the juggernauts in the league. But this is, this is a highly, highly competitive team that I feel like is only – it's only really scratching the surface of what it can be in terms of the grand scheme of what the Phoenix Suns organization could be. Like, I'm not sure the Suns will be a title team with Chris Paul. I'm not sure. But I do know, like, Mikel Bridges is only 24 years old. I know Devin Booker is still in his young 20s. And if these guys can grow together and, like, over the next five, six, seven years grow into something really, really special – then you're talking about being a favorite right now they're that team that's going to have you know have to have a lot of good fortune and luck on their way to really go all the way to a finals like we just saw with the heat last year and i feel like a lot of national you know media that i've talked to at least look at it from a championship perspective so sure. when i answer your question i'm answering it in that way it's fair even though even though that shouldn't be the approach because it's really about like the next four or five years of this team and right. trying to become a title contender when they're not quite there yet. Um, I don't know if that really answers your question. No, it does. And yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's interesting just because, like you said, it's about Chris Paul for a lot of people. I think that's really where it becomes interesting is you talk about the next four or five years, but Chris Paul has two years left. So I think for a lot of people where they get stopped up is failing to envision a future after that and that's what the Suns still have to figure out that's that's why creating positive momentum for them even if it's only in the form of us making it to a second round series this year uh, will be so important for them mm. it, it, no doubt it absolutely is and by the way like Chris Paul free agent you know he can become a free agent in 2021 but he has the 44 million dollar option I would assume <laughs> we'll pick that up who knows we'll see but like in 2022, 2023, when Devin Booker is near the end of his own deal, if Phoenix at that point has the perception of a team that is ready to contend for a championship with Aiton and Bridges coming up, that's when you're in a situation as a franchise where you can trade for anybody. That's a time where you can possibly sign anybody. And that to me is the intrigue more than anything else over the next two years it's about the progress from individual players and the collective unit all especially the young guys growing together to make phoenix the clear next team like right now i think they are like one of those next teams but there's a difference between being one of those teams and being oh yeah that's the <laughs> next team that's going to be contending for a championship if one 
one piece has changed or one piece is added and they are on their way doing that. And Chris Paul, even if he's not part of the long-term future at 35 years old, he's not part of the long-term future. But even if you have him only for the duration of this contract or maybe a year or two after more than that, that can go a long way in changing the perception of your franchise around the entire league from not just forget media. Like that doesn't matter as much as like from other players, from agents. Mm -hmm, Right. And that's what can lead to those big, big moves. And by the way, Chris Paul going to Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. Well, going there shows that's already changed quite a lot. Well, we have Ricky Rubio and Kelly Oubre actually to thank for that uh, a lot. And Monty, Monty, <laughs> Monty Williams, Williams really is, is, the yeah. real, is the real key for that because Monty Williams made that. It shows how important that hire was. Uh, you know, uh, when it happened, it took a year Monty's and a half. Monty's awesome. To, yeah, he's great. And everyone seems to love him. But, you know, since we're on the general perception of the Suns and, and we're talking about Devin Booker a little bit, I feel like you were early – on the on Devin Booker like you understood the type of player that he could become and I feel like the perception overall really started to change in the bubble uh, like from the general public or even people who cover the league I mean I've heard you take shit for it <laughs> like I've heard you take shit for it from whether it be Chris or Bill or people who just were not really there yet early in his career which as Sam said is fair like you sometimes you just have to see players do it in order to believe that they can be that why do you think Devin Booker was such a lightning rod early on? It's kind of odd because usually it's like these high picks that are these lightning rods because the expectations are so high. This guy was picked 13th, outperformed his draft stock immediately, <laughs> and then became the number one option on a team before he was old enough to drink a beer. But for some reason, there was a lot of criticism <laughs> pointed his way. You Beats picked me. up on it, but yeah, <laughs> you, have, you don't know. I don't know. I, I still don't really understand it. When I think back to some of the stuff that was said or written about really from really smart people saying it, and it, it, it's like this is somebody who in college at Kentucky ran six pick and rolls. <laughs> I mean, like what, like what are we talking about here with his evolution? I, I never, I never understood why. With Booker, it seemed like he was just getting beat downs from the media. Oh, he's a ball hog. He doesn't <laughs> want to be double teamed during, you know, summer workouts. It's like we're focusing on all the wrong things here. This is an example of a player who busted his ass to work on his game and get better at his weaknesses and has done it with a new coach every year, new GM. They do everything every year around him, and yet through that, he's improved constantly and become a player with scalable talents that can adapt and play next to another star player. We saw seeing that with Chris Paul. It's like, you know, it takes a while to get adjusted and develop chemistry. But with Booker, the reason why he was a lottery pick is because of his off-ball scoring, his ability to shoot, his cutting, and be like a smart, you know, uh, secondary shot creator. For him to turn into a primary is amazing especially at the level he is. I mean, I don't know where you guys would have him ranked in the NBA of like best players, but I mean, is he like 14th best, 15th best, top 20? No doubt top 20. And for him to become this guy is is really a testament to the work he's put in. And I, I hate that he didn't get credit for that before the Suns got good. I feel like people give him the credit now, but the last three seasons really, even his second season in the NBA when he started averaging over 20 points, that's when it was first clearly apparent that this guy is more than just a, a secondary presence that he could be significantly more than that and i don't know i i never 
I still don't under, understand the slandering that he got. It really doesn't make too much sense to me. People oftentimes don't factor in situation as much, and they just look at some of the negatives instead of how a guy's progressed. Like in life, I feel like I had this thought the other night, and it, totally unrelated to basketball, but <laughs> I, I think it's this is way too deep. But I, I think it's important to remind yourself of who you were before in terms of like ways you've grown as a person and in ways you've gotten worse as a person. And also true in basketball, you have to remind yourself like before last season, when people were talking about the summer, you know, workouts him not wanting to get double team and all that. You have to remember what Devin Booker was before four years ago when he was in college, what he was as a rookie. And I feel like that part was completely ignored. And I mean, I think it's true. Like in really everything in, you know, in society right now, so focused on the negative um, instead of the growth a lot of the time. That is that is very deep. Um, I <laughs> with, for no reason. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And and look with the Booker discussion, where I'm at now, I'm almost grateful for the criticism that he got. Um, I'm sure he isn't. Oh well, <laughs> he probably is because he feels that it made him a better player. I'm grateful for it because in a very self-absorbed thing that I'm about to say. I think it's made the Suns a smarter fan base where now I've observed Suns fans will go out and will um, pay special attention to other good young players on bad teams and actually watch their games and and, uh, not just throw around the the empty calorie label so carelessly as I think we see a lot of people do. So I think it's been positive in that sense. Of course, we need to mention Booker's numbers are down this year. Um, they're down to, you know, they're worse than his numbers were last year or the year before or even arguably the year before that. Chris Paul comes in. And interestingly enough, KOC, I think uh, Chris Paul in the past few games without Booker in the lineup, he's actually gone back to to hitting the shots that we we're accustomed to seeing him hit over the course of his career. You had a very interesting conversation with Verno on your podcast, A Mismatch, a couple weeks ago where you guys talked about it, talked about the fit. Um, and, and a lot of the conversation was kind of about are the Suns doing the best thing for Devin Booker's development in particular a lot of it revolved around pace has your opinion about that in the past couple weeks changed at all because we're starting to see CP3 kind of wake up a little bit I think it's clear that he's not just having this massive drop off Uh, like it's not like age is is coming to to bite him and he's lost a massive step but we haven't seen him do it with Booker in the lineup at the same time yet. So do you still have faith that Booker can return to the lineup, these guys can play off each other, and most importantly, that it's a sustainable strategy uh, going forward and to play playoff basketball? Yeah, I think so. Um, I I think it's important to categorize or or really give context to my comments that I also thought I could have worked with Chris Paul and James Harden. And I say that because that it did work and right. they went on two deep playoff runs chris paul just unfortunately got hurt and then they learned to hate each other um <laughs> but but you know ultimately that's more of a hardened thing than anything else booker and paul to me in a similar fashion that these these guys can excel together and they do it in a different system it's not you know pound the ball pound the ball run a pick and roll run isolation it's not the houston offense it's more motion it's more movement it's more sharing of the ball and devin booker i'm sure for him i'm sure there's some level of adjustment to doing the things that he did before and i'm sure for chris paul there's some adjustment to going from you know and the Clippers to the Rockets to the Thunder and now another new system. Right. But ultimately I think, you know, you mentioned shots weren't necessarily falling for Paul earlier in the year. He's still shooting below 30% from three in the season. 
I, I see those numbers coming up. I don't think there's any dramatic decline in Chris Paul's abilities or or his you know athleticism or speed. Nothing's fallen off. It's just one month into some weird season with all these mm-hmm. you know new rules that everybody's adjusting to, and without a, a full training camp, without a full preseason, like this is another symptom of it just being extended preseason right now. And with Booker, you know, I forget every everything that we talked about with Chris Vernon and that but ultimately I think this is for the best overall with Devin Booker's development just to make that clear because in order to win in order to win at the highest level you need to play with other star players you need to play with other guys that maybe means you don't touch the ball quite as much and ultimately I think these guys can thrive together and they have really good pieces around them that can help support and enhance them. It just takes time like anything else. Not every team, a new you know, cast of characters put together, clicks right away. It can take a, time, a bit of time. It's kind of funny to watch Chris Paul try to speed up the pace a little bit because it just it does not come naturally to him at all. It looks very <laughs> intentional. He's so turnover averse. Like he just does not want to turn the ball over, which is great. You know, I I, I described it on our last episode with Dan Favalli from uh, Bleacher Report. Uh, I described it as someone who was clearly building a team for a long time to try to beat the Warriors, where they were trying to slow down the pace constantly, and even with OKC trying to slow down the pace against. Houston and just grind everything to a halt and it's like he has to go against those specific things that he taught himself how to do in the last few years always been a relatively slow player but uh, say it does click say it does start to work really well and, and we start to see sort of the peak of this team and they make the playoffs they get to the playoffs what do you think the height of this team can be in the playoffs like how good can they be I know I know in the west it's commonly matchup based in the playoffs so <laughs> a first round exit is not necessarily bad in in the west uh you know compared to a normal year there's so many good teams now but what do you think what kind of heights do you think they could reach you know i, I think real the realistic answer is second round in the playoffs um but then again we just saw denver go to the western conference finals we saw miami go to a, an nba final so it would be unreasonable to just say oh it'll be the lakers or the clippers in the finals (laughs) like that you know it's just there's no guarantees here ultimately i feel like phoenix is one of those teams that if there's some good fortune that goes their way if they have like a hot shooting stretch if you know an opponent player has a bad series like last year with denver and la paul george has a horrific series you know they Mm. blow that 3-1 lead you know you need some good fortune uh, to go your way even when you are the favorite you need good fortune and Phoenix would just need a little bit more of it to make you know a deep deep West Finals or even NBA Finals run but ultimately I feel like they have the talent they have the talent to be right there in that level right below the Lakers and Clippers like next to Utah next to Denver I don't look at Phoenix as you know far off from them and I mean in terms of team like we talked about earlier in terms of record I don't look at their record as any detriment or knock against them. Just like with Utah being the one seed in the West right now, <laughs> even if they even if they end up with the one, mm-hmm. th- that doesn't mean that they're the best team in the West. It just means that they had the best regular season. But right. I I do think they're the one thing I will say the difference between Utah and Denver and Phoenix is that Utah's been together for a lot of time. Denver's been right. together a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Phoenix hasn't, and that experience does make a difference like if you're really splitting hairs you know between teams i'd put them slightly below because of the experience chemistry aspect right. um, but like, you know like you said if they get it together and if they're rolling they're right there with those other teams 
I think if if we're going back to talking about your realistic goal, I think any Suns fan is happy with getting out of the first round. You make it to the second round and this season is a success. Obviously, you want to push further than that. But just to get to that point, is there a team, throw out the LA teams for a second, don't even consider them. Um, is there a team in particular that would scare you if you're Phoenix uh, in a first round series? Um, and on the flip side, is there one that you think might be a favorable matchup if you had to choose between, uh, I don't know, Utah and Denver and, and Dallas and everyone else who's going to be there? I like the way Phoenix played, even though they lost both games. I like the way they played against Denver, and I think Denver has some holes on defense that will be more exploitable in the playoffs than we're seeing right now in the regular season. I mean, the loss Denver had with Jeremy Grant, forget about what he's done so far (laughs) this year with Detroit, doubling his points per Mm -hmm. game, doubling his shots per game. I mean, it's crazy to see what he's doing. Just think about the guy that they had last year. That was an important defender on that team, a versatile defender. And I think about a playoff series, I feel like Chris Paul and Devin Booker could potentially feast if they're picking on mismatches. Um, so that matchup comes to mind. And, you know, I say that after I lost two <laughs> overtime games in a row, but it just that's the way I feel about some of these West matchups. Utah is going to be tough. Yeah. I mean, their their defense is fantastic. Yeah. And they hit um, shots. They really hit they, shots. Yeah, they hit shots. Like Mike Conley going back to being Mike Conley. Exactly. Uh, that that makes such a dramatic difference with that team because it, it lessens the load on on Mitchell to have to carry the offense. Um, like Utah's like really, really good, man. Like I said they're, they're really ju- good. I said just a few weeks ago that Utah was the team specifically in our preseason pod, they were the team I wasn't afraid of. Because the entire reason you get Chris Paul is so that you kind of have this bicameral system where you've got these two scores in the playoffs, and and Utah doesn't have that with only Mitchell. And of course, now they're making me my words. Their offense actually looks like a pretty well-oiled <laughs> machine right now. So that's going to be tough. Uh, we we haven't seen those two teams go head to head yet, but it, it'll be interesting. Uh, yeah, and a lot of people, I think, after these two games against Denver, were asking for that Phoenix Denver playoff matchup, and I think a lot of Suns fans are now terrified of that. But I will say. You know, Devin Booker didn't finish the first game. You know, the hamstring injury happened in that game and then didn't play at all in the second game. And they still took it to double overtime with Abdul Nader and Frank Kabinsky playing in the overtimes. You know, that's not ideal. Even Dario Saric has been a huge piece for this team. You know, hasn't played due to COVID protocols, likely tested positive at some point. So that's a big piece missing. So that'll be interesting. I think that's that's a good team to look out for in the playoffs and something that definitely could happen depending on the matchups in that first round. I just want to switch over to something that's non-basketball related. Uh, you play guitar. <laughs> our, our, our mutual friend, uh, Kyle, is also a musician. I'm a drummer. I played in bands for 10 years. Sam, uh, co-host here, plays piano. We're all musicians here. Ah. Uh, it's been, first of all, let's start a band. Uh, I'm all for it. <laughs> uh, you know, I can, I can do other things besides drums if we have another drummer. Uh, but... 2020 was a weird year for me where I felt like I listened to less music than normal. Oh, I like where this is going. <laughs> Let's, sorry, I know I'm, I'm, I'm way off the trail here. I just listened to less music in general because I wasn't driving as much. Just weird things sort of stacked up that made it harder for me to find new music. Uh, Kevin, what are you listening to right now? Do you have any thing that you'd like to recommend to us or our listeners? Um, so what I feel the same way as you do about music. I, I don't feel like I took the time to listen to full album albums quite as much. Like my, my 2020 favorites is mostly stuff that was fed to me from like the Spotify release radar or right. like, you know, discover weekly stuff. And I don't feel like I've listened to a ton of 
albums, full-on albums. But in terms of stuff that's in my rotation, I'm trying to revisit some of the stuff that I did miss in 2020. I've been listening to the new Fleet Foxes album. The full album is really fantastic. I mean, the first two songs off that album, it's called Shore, um, are just unbelievable. Uh, So I've been listening to that. I I really, really like the live albums released this year by – the war on drugs yeah. uh, called live drugs. I really like the live father John Misty album. And these are some artists that I I've loved for years of their studio stuff and for them to release live music, um, like off key in Hamburg is the father John Misty album. Like it, it, it just helps make up for the fact that there's not live music right now. Right. And so I feel like I've leaned into, you know, YouTube videos of live music or like <laughs> the NPR tiny desk even. Yeah. Um, that has helped kind of uh, fill the void of not having the ability to go to concerts and be in a room of thousands of strangers. And uh, <laughs> I, I miss yeah, that. I, lo- I look forward to those days are back. It's, um, it's a good time. I mean, do you feel like you did most of your music listening in the car? Like, like why did you not seek it out as much? Yeah. I, I feel like I was commonly, I, I think I think there was like a I don't want to get too deep again here but I do think there was like an emotional element of it where I just didn't I, th- I think a lot of times I associated finding new music with just being happy all the time and there was so much negativity <laughs> that it just made it harder to seek out a lot of new music so you know it just it was you know you get your spot I have Spotify so I got my Spotify wrapped at the end of the year and I still had out like 20,000 30,000 hours of yeah music. right but you know like it was still a lot yeah. but like it, compared to a normal year the previous few years it was like half of what a normal year was for me and I was like oh that's kind of odd I didn't really expect that so I think that was part of it but I'll definitely I already listened to everything you mentioned here but I'm going to listen to it even more now with you in mind Kevin since you joined us here Sam do you have anything else uh, for Kevin before we let him go Uh, no KOC thank you so much for hopping on Uh, it's been awesome man I appreciate it guys one last recommendation Steady Holiday it has a new album coming out soon I really Ooh. like the singles from that Living Life is my favorite single but uh, Steady Holiday has got some good singles out right now I'll check that uh, one out uh, gonna, lo- gonna play it lot, right lot, now there's a lot of good music coming out yeah. just fi- finding the time to listen to it and thank you so much guys for having of course. me on it's, it's fun to talk about the Suns and um, it's really cool for you know for you guys and for Suns fans to be rewarded yeah. with like a fun basketball team where there's <laughs> yeah. hope and it's like you you feel like you're right there and have a chance in the playoffs after some of the you know the bad years recently cuz um you know even during those bad years there's been glimmers of hope and yeah we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use indeed the better it gets Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
for those times to be here is it's pretty awesome. It's it's great to watch. I, I hope you guys have a a nice rest of the season and a big playoff run too. Appreciate it. the bright now sons as as you yeah. said before. <laughs> Definitely don't forget to read Kevin O'Connor at theringer.com. Follow him on Twitter. You can find him. Listen to the Mismatch podcast. Check out the Void, not just the Mikael Bridges video. I saw a rumor that maybe the next one will be about Lou Dort as somebody who's in Arizona. <laughs> I'm very excited about the prospect of a potential Lou Dort video, so if that's coming up soon, I will definitely check out that one as well. Uh, but take a look at all those videos on theringer.com. Kevin once again thank you very much thank you so much guys we'll be right back with our friend david nash to talk about deandre ayton the economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news we dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy from big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed. Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. All right, very excited for this conversation. On our last episode, we briefly touched on DeAndre Ayton, but I honestly, I don't think that we talked about him enough after the stretch that he had recently, so I wanted to come back to it on this episode to talk more about how he's been playing lately. And coincidentally, our friend David Nash, the four-point play himself, wrote an excellent newsletter about DeAndre Ayton as well. So no one better to have on than David. David, how you doing? I'm doing good, guys. I'm, I'm feeling the pressure a little bit here, being the, the encore to Kevin O'Connor. <laughs> uh, I know you can't track you know, downloads that uh, only last 40 minutes through the podcast and then everyone turns <laughs> off. But I'm just expecting that you know, there's, there's a few people dropping off right about now that maybe came to the Timeline pod for the, the first time with, with that great Kevin O'Connor interview. But uh, I'm happy to be here, guys, and always love talking about the sun. So happy to uh, get into it. We're going to hook him with uh, some great Aiton analysis and that Aussie charm, uh, David. I, I think we'll, we'll get him to stay. Yeah, we got multiple different time zones on this episode all over the, all over the world. Uh, you wrote about DeAndre Aiton. He had possibly the best stretch of his career over a four-game four uh, four stretch mm-hmm. uh, where he was aggressive, he was rebounding, he was playing great defense, uh, he was attacking the rim, he dribbled. He drew free throws. There was so much that we thought he did really well. You wrote about it. What stood out to you in watching that stretch? Yeah, I think it's undoubtedly his best stretch, and that's why I was so excited to to write about it. Um, you mentioned, you know, the newsletter there. I'm in a weird spot. You know, I can probably only, you know, write, you know, once a week or, or every ten days, and I was kind of sitting there going, you know, Aiton was clearly the story of those last four games, and I was, I'm always trying to think of something unique that I can bring or that you know wouldn't have been covered by someone you know that's smart smarter than me in, in Sun's Twitter already and, and what I could kind of bring to the conversation and I, I was kind of just sitting there looking back at the the off-season article that I, I wrote about DeAndre and just going through that checklist that I wrote and I was kind of thinking to myself you know these are all those things that I was saying he's flashed in the past through his first two seasons I wonder how many of them if I go back and watch these four games he actually ticks off in these four games in a row and you know I watched the Memphis game first all of a sudden three or four already ticked off in that game get to the Rockets game he's you know three quarters of the way through my checklist of sorts and and then the the Denver back-to-back he you know 
thankfully for for me to to round it out he kind of ticked all the boxes that I went through in terms of the flashes that he's shown in the past so it just felt like the perfect opportunity to kind of uh you know say is it him finally clicking is somehow some people put it you know for me it was waking up is kind of how I used it in those articles and I just was so impressed that he had done all of these things that I felt were you know the way that he impacts the game the best and the most in such a short period of time it was a little bit um I guess disappointing that the Suns were one and three in that stretch but there were some other reasons for that that I think were very much outside of DeAndre Ayton's control uh and then obviously disappointing that I pumped him up so much and the Suns went on to lay an egg against the (laughs) OKC Thunder right after and and Ayton in particular didn't play very well in that game but he certainly wasn't alone in that so yeah that was kind of the the reason that I was getting to it I just thought that it was Def, you mentioned it there, was it his best kind of four-game stretch? I think I looked at a few numbers and stats. There were definitely some other four-game stretches where he was just as impressive. But uh, I guess if we were to highlight one thing, the aggression, which I tried to highlight in that latest newsletter, was that was the big thing. That was the thing yeah. that had all of us on Twitter kind of going, whoa, who's this guy? Like, I just right. haven't seen this before. Yeah, that was, that was a great uniter of the fan base, I think, because... So many of us have been asking for different things out of DeAndre Ayton, no matter what end of the spectrum you're on. But I think everyone was united in in the aggression. You broke down the newsletter in, I think, a really clever way where it kind of started out with things where, you know, the stuff that DeAndre Ayton has always been good at. But then you progress to the stuff that he's shown flashes of and, and finally the things that were so exciting that we've never really seen this before. Um, being a little more conservative, I, I kind of want to start with the basic stuff. I think a, a really interesting point you made, David, was um, talking about how how effective DeAndre was in that stretch where his touches uh, really didn't go up that much. The stat you used, he, he was averaging 51.6 touches per game going into that stretch, and then during the stretch, he averaged 54.8, so just three touches per game more. Obviously, in those three touches, there were really flashy, exciting things that we'll get to, but outside of that, it was about his mindset his aggression, uh, you know, trying to look for lobs, strong seals, being a really good offensive rebounder. I mean, I think you can speak to it more more than me, but just like, you know, starting off with that basic stuff and, and just playing well within the flow of the offense. Can you can you speak to that and, and what you saw from DeAndre uh, in that sort of realm? Because I think a lot of Suns fans still don't quite understand um, exactly what we're looking for out of DeAndre when it comes to that stuff. Yeah, I think it was after the Houston game that I tweeted about it, and he'd kind of had 26 points on 15 shots. And I went back through all of his made baskets, and it was, you know, basically only alley-oops, you know, some transition free throws he managed to to generate, um, you know, lobs, putbacks in particular. You know, that's kind of one key for DeAndre when you know he's on, when he's getting to the front of the rim and getting offensive rebounds and putting it back in the hole. You know, dump-offs when the when guys are driving and, and DeAndre's sitting in the dunker spot, kind of in the perfect uh, place to capitalize on something like that. So, you know, I think there was maybe one post-touch that generated a basket for DeAndre in that game. And that was kind of the clear thing for me. It was like, look, he can he can have 26 points without feeding him, as some people like to say on Twitter. And I'm really glad that you kind of brought that point up Sam because this is where I really struggle with the conversation online about DeAndre particularly when he only has say seven shots in a game uh, and everyone kind of turns to the team 
I do think that the team has a responsibility to get him the ball in the right spots for DeAndre so he can capitalize on some of those possessions. But I just don't think it's how, at least from what I see, the majority of Suns fans who are clamoring for that are discussing it. I see people talking about feeding him in the post and, you know, kind of in the half court getting sets that find DeAndre, you know, with the ball on the low block isolated against his guy. And I just don't think that that's where he's the most effective. And the thing for me is, you know, we were talking about this just before we hit record it. I wonder how much wins and losses really change the conversation. You know, I think they do a lot, you know, and you mentioned it there with the paint touches. I've got paint touches, total touches, field goal attempts in the paint and field goal attempts in total here for DeAndre last season then the eight games in the bubble, and then this season. And I, I just focus mainly on the bubble uh, and this season as I run through them. So paint touches last year, 13.9. In the bubble, 11. This season, 11.9. Total touches last season, 60.3. In the bubble, 53.4. This season, 51.5. And you mentioned wow. it just then, Sam. I think more like 54 in that four-game stretch. So it went up a little mm-hmm. bit, pretty much identical with the bubble. And then his, you know, total and paint field goals have gone down, you know, last season to the bubble to this season, kind of one shot each sector, but not dramatically and and not dramatically enough that I think it's been noticeable. And, you know, I don't remember anyone complaining about DeAndre's paint touches or his total touches in the bubble when we went eight and zero. So I just think that the, the losses really changed the conversation where I think in the bubble, the Suns clicked of how he is best used, I suppose, and that's transferred over to this season. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up sort of feeding him. I thought that was part of the problem with the OKC game. See, after after the four great games he had, the entire team, like you said, laid an egg in, in that OKC game. And I thought, you know, posting up Al Horford, maybe you get one or two buckets on that in the entire game, but that's one of the best post defenders in the NBA. That That's a guy that specifically was guarding Joel Embiid and maybe one of the only guys that's ever been really good at yep. guarding Joel Embiid uh, in the NBA and and putting Aiton on him I think is almost unfair to Aiton with Aiton there's two advantages to him he's strong and he's fast for his size mm-hmm. and I think when you have a guy like Al Horford on you instead of using the strength because that's sort of matched maybe the speed is is better utilized Admittedly, okay, they deserve credit. OKC did a good job defending, and I thought they packed the paint really well in that game, and the shots weren't falling from the outside. And if the shots don't fall from the outside when it, you're struggling to get shots in the paint, that's a recipe for losing in today's NBA. So yeah. credit to them for that. Uh, but finding ways to use his speed against a guy like Al, For- Al Horford would be nice rather than posting up. You know, Monty... Monty's taken some heat recently, and I think that's <laughs> part of it's part of the conversation. I think uh, how people are affected by wins and losses. You know, it's it's part of that as well. Uh, what do you think that he has done in those four game stretches? And I think you know there was the game against Golden State. Uh, he didn't really have a chance to come back in. I think it was it was kind of an up and down game for him. And then Frank yeah. Kaminsky just finished the game off. So I don't really judge him for that game. You know, there was. A, a good stretch there was a not as good stretch and and it's whatever they, they won by a lot of points and that was a good game overall yeah uh but going forward beyond that what do you think monty did and the coaching staff did for the suns and the players to that extent that they could then duplicate going forward what did you see 
Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's half and half, I, and I, I think it's shared too, just to be really clear. It's definitely not all on Aiton. I think his engagement and motor is 50% of it, and then the way the team is playing and the way that Monty's instructing them to play is the other 50%. I think everyone on you know in Sun's fandom that is watching these games has kind of noticed that we're a little bit too reliant on the outside shot. I think that's bleeding over to DeAndre Ayton. In those four games in particular, I think they... Um, in stretches at least did a much better job of, of putting pressure on the rim and attacking the basket and I think that's where you see DeAndre, a fully engaged DeAndre Ayton kind of occupy the creases and, and get in for those offensive putbacks and you know he gets bigger and stronger the longer the game goes on and everyone gets tired so you know as simple as it sounds I do think that there is something there where you know, just the more that the team is attacking the rim, the more opportunities Aiton gets to kind of impact the game on the offensive end. I think the other thing that they didn't do probably more than anything in those four games is they weren't force feeding him in the post like we saw Mm -hmm. in some of the earlier games and then saw kind of creep back in in that OKC game. You know, I think I've said it online before, I think the longer, you know, the, the play goes on and probably any more than two passes to get DeAndre the ball, I think you've lost already because I think the defense is adjusted and he's just not going to be able to attack from a position of advantage because we know he's just still a little bit limited in some of those moves that he's got. But to your point, Mike, he is quick on his feet and with a guy like Al Horford, he can certainly jump out of the gym compared to a guy like Al Horford. So more pick and roll. You know, I saw it way more in those Denver games and in the Houston game. They're running way more pick and roll with DeAndre Ayton up high, spreading with the shooters. Obviously, when the guys outside are hitting their shots, there's a lot more advantage and options created for DeAndre Ayton. But the other thing that we don't you know, mention very often, which I mentioned right at the top of my newsletter, is him rolling hard to the rim every single time also opens up everyone on the outside and uh, you know I haven't dived into it I don't think there's been long enough yet to really dive into the numbers of the Suns outside shooting and and how streaky it is but I would you know hazard a guess that there's some correlation there between uh, you know how dangerous Aiton himself is making himself going down the lane and when some of those uh, dry spells come with the with the open threes. Pick and roll is is definitely part of it. But the other part, though, that you stressed yourself in the newsletter is transition. I mean, yes, it it opens up a whole other conversation, because I think if we talk about transition, we have to talk about conditioning. But just to touch on the good stuff first, when Aiton is running, you've shown David and we've all seen it. He's really, really, really hard to stop. And, And going back to Mike's point, he has the combination of strength and speed to exploit that in really interesting ways. One of my favorite plays of the game last night one of the first shots of the game, or, or a couple nights ago, I guess, depending on when you're listening to this, one of the first shots of the game against Golden State, he got down early and he sealed off Looney like 18 or 19 seconds left in the shot clock because it was Looney starting over Weissman, um, and, and he got a quick hook shot. But it was his ability to get down there within six or seven seconds, so it didn't do what you were just talking about, David, where it bogged down the offense and they had to kind of try to find the work, uh, you know, work the mismatch after two or three passes around the perimeter. No, they looked for him fast. He was able to get the seal quick, uh, and he went for the the easy shot and rhythm. I really like when when Da does stuff like that. Obviously, there's the transition stuff, just like catching lobs and hustling in transition. That's part of it too. Um, but I think you know, even the post ups, you can kind of work post touches and in transition if you get a quick seal in order to do that though he really has to be motivated to run and again i don't know if that's because 
he has to work on his conditioning or if it's because he sees that his point guard Chris Paul refuses to to run the ball so I, you know I think it's on both of them but but what do you think David yeah I think you're spot on I think it's definitely on both of them I think more recently uh, at least before the few injuries that just hit uh, we saw Chris Paul maybe responding to that transition criticism and, and kind of giving the ball up a little bit sooner to Mikhail and Cam uh, but obviously then those two guys aren't as you know skilled at getting the ball in in those seal positions to DeAndre Ayton you'd definitely rather that Chris Paul's the one doing it but he just you know he refuses to get up the court in quick fashion at the moment which you know it's just not his game so they have to adjust in other ways and I think passing ahead is one way that they've looked at doing that but you're, you're spot on as I said it that's a real key indicator early along with the offensive rebounds if he's getting down the court beating his man you know he did it with a guy like Jokic because he knows he's not as quick on his feet as DeAndre Ayton so if someone else secures the defensive board Ayton just takes off and he beats Jokic down seals off a smaller guy and that's you know that's the situations where I can really understand DeAndre getting frustrated if he doesn't get the ball in that situation because he's working his ass off to get that position he deserves the bucket so that and then pick and roll with Chris they managed to you know get him switched onto a small which I tried to highlight a few times with like you know a Jamal Murray or something like that and that's just money for jam as well in the paint for DeAndre Uh, in the past I've got a little bit frustrated that he passes out a lot of those situations but particularly in that four game stretch where he was much much more aggressive we were just seeing him turn around put it put the ball in the in the hoop sometimes even turn around and dunk it and that was why we were getting so excited with some of those uh, games where he was just playing out of his skin this conversation I think has shifted to be so much about offense now and I get I, I get why I really do get why because Chris Paul's on the team now and Chris Paul and centers tend to work really well together and you would have you would have assumed that the offense would have worked better to start the season and you know the defense worked pretty well right away but I do want to just give some perspective because uh, as off the rails as any conversation about DeAndre Ayton can go I do think it's important for Suns fans to remember that even a bad game for DeAndre Ayton now is so much better than like his rookie year because defensively he is just a good pick and roll defender every single time he lines up to play pick and roll defense and it's nice that that sort of pick and roll defense uh, is sort of gone from the conversation about him because if you guys remember you had a podcast David we had one in his rookie <laughs> year that we talked about that every week we talked about his pick and roll defense and how lost he was on that now every single game it's good defense on the pick and rolls I think there are other times where if he's not getting down the court fast enough or there's some help defense issues that could be there but it's it's nice that we are able to not have to talk about the defense and that's what I mean by the perspective I think the perspective now is there and we need to remind ourselves this is something that KOC brought up when we were talking earlier (laughs) uh you know remind you of who they used to be and who they are now and I think that's a smart point to make because where he's at defensively is just miles and miles beyond where he was previously the one thing I think that helped in those four games is just a little bit more effort and focus on the defensive end but it's nice that it's not a lot like it's just a little bit there's just small things that will make him an excellent excellent defender and he's so close to it already 
Offensively, I think a lot of the conversation is now going to shift over there for the rest of the season as well, but that's because of how good he's been on defense. What have you thought about Aiton defensively? Yeah, I think I've touched on quite a lot throughout his career. Even the rookie flashes that he showed on defense, I think it still exists now. Uh, that the infamous of- Giannis game. <laughs> always, yeah, always exactly. love coming back to yeah. that one. That that's the perfect example. I think when he's been giving a very given a very specific role and challenged, he's responded all the time. And I think the job for the coaching staff, and I've said this a few times, is even in these really mundane games when you're playing OKC on a Wednesday night, they have to give him a very specific defensive task. That one was really difficult. They had Al Horford trying to drag him out of the paint, which is where he's not comfortable. All of a sudden, Al's got three from three from three, and DeAndre's head gets muddled, and he's not sure where he's supposed to be, and that's when you kind of hear Chris Paul yelling DA all the time in help situations. So I think that's on the coaching staff just as much as it is on Aiton. That's just fact. You know, I, I would love to think that DeAndre Aiton was a 10-year vet that didn't need extra motivation every night through an 80-game season, but it's just been shown through his three seasons so far. He does. He needs kind of extra challenges, extra roles to kind of lock him in. But you're right, Mike. There's a reason we're talking mostly as a fan base about the offense, and that's because defensively he is very, very good already and has made huge leaps and the conversation would be just so much different if he was struggling to the same extent on offense that he is on defense right now Uh, and that's really why I kind of go at pains it's not really a perfect comparison at all Um, and I was going to get into comparisons with you guys before we ended just to throw a a random ex-Phoenix Sun at you but it's why I use Rudy Gobert as DeAndre Ayton's comparison because he's so hard to compare to ex-Suns uh, you know, we haven't had a lot of, you know, great storied history with big men at the Phoenix Suns, so there's not many guys we can compare him to there. He's also really hard to just pigeonhole against, you know, recently retired players or, or current guys in the NBA. But in terms of role, they're certainly not the same player. DeAndre's way more skilled and has yep. a better touch than Rudy Gobert. But in terms of his defensive impact and then the role that I would like to see him play on this Phoenix Suns team it's very similar to Rudy Gobert and that's why I kind of have the checklist that I have and why I I hold him to the high standard that I do because I think that kind of impact is, um, you know, what we need to be holding eight and two and and trying to expect from him if we want to be a really good playoff team this season. Yeah, I mean, you've talked about it a lot of times before, David, just for the Suns to be the best team this season, it's having Aiton be a really, really, really good garbage man. And it's it's not the sexiest role. But then, you know, I'm sorry to go back to offense. It's just we have to talk about this stuff, too. You know, sometimes he does dribble. And and I think that's an interesting thing to talk about um, in in that stretch because you covered it. And it's like, well, that doesn't make you the best team right now. Um, But on the other hand, you know, he was getting plays. I think it was the Houston game off the top of my head where he got a wide open lane and he took like two dribbles and just went right at the rim in a way that we've never seen before. And it's like, okay, Aiton can be a really good player this year just by focusing on defense. Obviously, any any interview he has with the press, it's clear that that's the message that's being ingrained in his head is I'm focusing on defense and, and, you know, catching lobs and whatever. However, if you want him to be a better player eventually, um, the, the dribbling stuff is really interesting and, and it kind of just comes and, and correlates with that aggression. So I'm curious where you currently stand on that, David, is, is just like, you know, obviously you were excited to see the dribbling, otherwise you wouldn't have written about it. But to what extent should it be, you know, in his development plan? 
yeah, I think the play you mentioned is the perfect way to kind of speak on this, and particularly in contrast to, say, what we saw Frank Kaminsky do against the Warriors uh, at the end of the game, or for the whole game, really, in, in the minutes that he played. I wouldn't be designing sets or running anything like they did through Frank, where you're kind of reliant on a few dribbles, making a read, passing it off. I just don't think that's where Aiton's skill set sits right now. Maybe it does in the future, but I think the team would kind of splutter and, um, you know, kind of seize up even more than what we're seeing at the moment through stretches offensively if they try and run that stuff. So the team success would be worse off for doing that. But what I want to see from DeAndre and what was so exciting in those four games was when the opportunity presents itself as an audible, not the main action, you know, as a, in that case, in that play that you mentioned, DeMarcus Cousins just totally overplayed uh, the inbounds pass, thinking he could get a steal. And guys do that against Aiton because they know that even if they stuff up, Aiton's not great at putting it on the floor and probably isn't going to punish them for making the mistake. That's what made that play so exciting for me is Aiton turned over his right shoulder, saw the open lane, put it on the floor two times. And, you know, when the Suns shared it later, I don't think we gave that play even enough credit at the time because, you know, he finger rolled it in from six feet out and, and showed that touch that he has. And yeah. that was kind of thrilling for all of us to see that in slow motion mike i think you even talked about the the above angle of that yeah. one making it kind of appear well not appear like it actually giving it the credit that it was due for a play like that so i just want to see him attack from those positions when his opponent tries to gamble uh or you know he's essentially trying to make fun of him by the fact that he can't do anything but you know putting it on the floor and punishing him just do it in those situations you know we saw it in that memphis one he he basically um acted as if he felt disrespected that Tillman was trying to guard him in the post and he just, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's a rookie. Like, that's what he right. should be doing in his third right. year. Like, how dare you try right. and guard me with this dude? I'm going to, you know, put it on his head. And he did. And that was awesome to see as well. But I just, I that's what I was talking about before. Just because we see a couple of flashes like that, I don't think the conversation should automatically move to oh, we need to be feeding Aiton more. We're taking too many threes. When we're missing threes, we've got to run stuff for Aiton in the post. I just don't think that's long-term or short-term success for this team, I should say. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I think it's very exciting to have this type of conversation about him and uh, just how much he's improved and how interesting he'll look going forward. The next few games will be fun to watch after that stretch. I think he set a standard for himself that a lot of Suns fans are probably going to hold him to. Perfect, uh, yeah. David, I appreciate you coming on to this podcast. I appreciate everything you do writing about the Suns, and I appreciate having uh, basketball conversations with you, as Sam and I do probably almost every single day. So thank you very <laughs> much for coming on. Subscribe to the newsletter. Is there anything else that you'd like to plug? No, not at all. Just uh, follow me on Twitter, guys. Subscribe to the, the Substack, which you can find through my Twitter. Uh, and thanks very much for you guys, uh, or to you guys, I should say, for, for having me on this uh, extra special podcast, I suppose we should call it. <laughs> thanks, David.
Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You're over the big three carriers. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Now you can get unlimited with 5G included for just $30 a month on the nation's fastest, most reliable network. So break free from the big three and save with Xfinity Mobile. Take the savings challenge at XfinityMobile.com slash savings to see how much you can save when you get Xfinity Mobile and Internet together. Reduced speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. Most reliable based on Root Metrics U.S. report. Results vary, not an endorsement. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.